0: and 365 day returns.
1: Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with actor Chris Coghill and it's a wonderful chat. Uh, Chris and I clicked, I felt, straight away. Like His song choices, when they got sent over, I was like, all right, we're gonna have a great chat. Uh, there's only a couple of years between us, so uh, we grew up listening to very similar things. Um, yeah, and there's 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 a shared passion for uh, a lot of music on this conversation. Um, I stumbled uh, across Chris many years ago when uh, he played Bez in Twenty Four Hour Party People, and we talk at length about that. We talk about um, what that was like being on set for the, you know, that incredible film. Uh, and then more recently, uh, a, a, a ferocious performance uh, in uh, The Walk-in with Andy Ennis and, and, and Stephen Graham, a really, really powerful drama um, that's uh, that's just finished. Um, and I'd definitely recommend getting on the. Uh, catch-up services and watching that uh, is an incredible piece of television. Um, Before we get on with today's chat, a few thank yous. Uh, I want to thank Hotel Chocolat, who are the official sponsors of this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, It's getting near Christmas. Um, I can tell you to go and buy their advent calendars and their chocolate, um, but I'm not. I'm going to tell you to go and check out their alcohol range, because uh, if you like your kind of creamy, Christmassy, boozy drinks, they do it best uh they do a, a solid caramel one a mean chocolate one uh an orange chocolate one an espresso martini and they're really really good it's not just me saying that um because they're uh, the sponsors it's really tasty stuff um i'm really lucky that they've sent me you know a few little boxes so uh i get to to uh neck it and when i do face to face interviews get to share it with the guests and uh the overriding consensus of opinion is always yeah that's really good So, uh, yeah, go check it out. Um, Proud sponsors of this podcast, Hotel Chocolat. I want to thank Scroobies Pip, uh, the podfather himself, and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network, which this podcast is very proud to be part of. I want to thank everybody, uh, the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast who produced this podcast for me. If you like your true crime podcasts, go check out Blue Murder Club. And I want to thank you lot uh, for being really nice I'm um, four hundred and sixty six episodes I think now. Um and yeah, it's still going from strength to strength. and um, we talk about um some some Manchester music today and uh and I've been really lucky uh to have spoken to uh to eight oh eight stay, uh I've spoken to Rowetta, um oh god, the 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 list goes on of, of, of Manchester acts I've I've spoke to. Go uh Andy Bell of Oasis, um Oh, gosh, yeah. Go, go have a rummage um, in the archives because I've, I've been really lucky to have spoke to so many um, wonderful musicians, um, you know, indie bands uh, such as The Killers, The Kaiser Chiefs, The Kooks, uh, through to... Who else have I done? If we, if we talk about actors, um, Thomas Turgoose, Joe Hartley, Maxine Pe, Commander Abington, Michael Smiley... Um gosh, and who else have I had on? If you like your DJs, I've had uh Fat Boy Slim, had a wonderful chat with Norman Cook. Um producer Butch Fig, who obviously you, you will know aside from his work in garbage, producing Nevermind for Nirvana and Sonic Youth and Smashing Pumpkins. That's a great chat. Uh there's hundreds and hundreds uh of episodes. If you like your big rock bands, I've spoken to the foo Fighters, I've spoken to Tommy Lee Motley Crew. So once you finish today's episode with Chris, go and have a, a rummage in the archives and better still, subscribe. Uh, and then each week you'll, uh, you'll get a couple of episodes just pop up in your your listening device and you won't have to worry about missing anything. If you'd like to support the podcast in any uh, other ways, uh, simple, there's plenty, just give us a like, love, share, retweet on social media um, or just nudge your mate. If you've got a mate who's into... Listening to podcasts and and you think it, you know he or she would be into listening to uh, a lispy bloke from Essex talking to amazing creative people about their creative journey, then tell them about this podcast. And if you want even more content, I have a Patreon and it costs you one dollar a month. That's about eighty pence. That's about twenty p a week. I know, I know, I know times are tough at the moment, but if you have got a a spare eighty pence a month uh, floating about, then you can support this podcast over on patreon and what you get over there is you get to watch all the episodes if you like to watch your podcast you can watch them over there ad free Um, I put up radio shows I record little radio shows so you can go and get access to all of them Uh, I release lots of episodes up front as well over there Uh, so uh, I recently recorded a a great chat with blur um, and I put that out on patreon first so um, yep so you get access to stuff uh, pre-release uh, and I do a live show on Zoom for Patreons each month where you'll get to guest on it. You'll get to, we pick one question from the, the podcast and uh, you'll come along and you pick your tracks and you'll get to guest on an episode and, and we record it and we, we, we put it out for Patreons to listen to as well. So you can find out about that and everything else you need to know about this podcast at com. Right, should we get on with it? Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the wonderful... Chris Cockhill. It's Off The Beat & Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Chris, how are you doing today?
0: Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you?
1: Yeah, well, all right. Well, all right. Before we get on to, to anything else, am I right in saying that you went to the uh, Manny uh, event last night. It's tomorrow night. Oh, it's tomorrow night, right? Yeah,
2: you- yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's gonna be, a, it's gonna be a good day, but it's, you know, it's not for good reasons. So it's on. you know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, Mel does. I mean, she, she's, she's gonna be there. She's all, you know, she's as far as I know, she, you know, she's, she's doing all right. At that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's gonna raise a lot of money for Christies and that. So yeah,
1: absolutely. Do you any idea? Is, is it a real sort of uh,
2: thing? Yeah, I mean, I know that people, I mean, I know Rowetta's singing there, I know Clint Boone's doing a bit. I've nice. um, not really looked into it that much, to be fair. Um, I just knew it was just one of the things that as soon as I knew it was on, I was like, oh, right, well, I'm going
1: with that.
2: You know what I mean? Because uh, nice. what I sport, him and her, and, you know, the charities and all that, and it'll be a fucking top night. And it's, and it's actually is sixtieth on Saturday, so we we got like a bit of a two day event. So. Love it, love
1: it. Well, look, this this all works perfectly because um let's kick off the playlist, and I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please.
2: Right, all right. Do you know what? The first thing I want to say about this whole fucking process is that it is it's so difficult.
1: Good, it's, it's meant to be. Difficult.
2: <laughs> um and it's but the good thing is it's just got me started it started me thinking about a lot of music I've not thought about for a long time. Do you know what I mean? It's been uh, the last few days have been pretty um concentrated music listening. So thank you for that. Uh you know, and there's fucking for the best intro, I mean there's I mean you just pointed out the the, the verb thing behind me there. I mean you can't, you know what I mean? The first time you hear you know, as soon as you hear them strings at the start of Bitter Sweet Symphony, you know, you've got a banger coming. Yeah. Um but I mean, but there's just, I mean, there's, there's a lot, I mean, you know, and it's, if you want to talk about the opening, the intro to a song in terms of the, fuck, the first lyrics, and you can't go wrong with King Ciafro by the Mondays either, you know, yeah. son, I'm dirty, I only went with your mother because she's dirty, I mean, what an opening line, what a tune, um, and you know, again, fuck it, like what oh, was the other one that I was thinking, you know, Orbital, can uh, vassar that oh. piano that goes on, for about, goes on for about five minutes, you know what I mean? And then suddenly, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, you know, there's fucking, there's loads, you know, ACDC, <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's a lot of, fucking, there's a lot of tunes yeah, open. Um, But the reason why I think I picked this one is because not only is it a fucking brilliant opening, but also, it's also to do with the promise of what's coming at the end. Do you know what I mean? Because it's also got, it's also, it's got possibly, it's got, well, in my opinion, one of the best in, opening, intros to a tune, but certainly got the best end to a tune.
1: The full version we're talking, obviously. The full right?
2: version, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've got time to, <laughs> to play that, but, um, yeah, no, so, it's I Am The Resurrection, Stone Roses. Yeah. I mean, from that, you know, from that opening fucking half beat thing, uh, you, you know, straight away, and then when that bass comes in, it's like, it obviously, it's instantly recognizable, but like I say, it's like I mean, it's a contender for like a funeral song, as far as I'm concerned for me. Like, not just because it says I am the resurrection, but um, also it keeps people hanging around for longer because it does go on for a long time. But I mean, like I say, the, the promise, the intro is, is sort of a combination of sorry, the best intro and the promise of the fucking what's coming later as well as soon as you hear it. Because that i been mean, that the end of that song is immense. Do you know what I mean?
1: It's it's so good insofar as it, it kind of it's not a conventional pop song. If you listen to sort of like she bangs the drums, that's far more or or, or I don't know, Stone, They're far more conventional: first chorus, first chorus, mid late chorus, finish. Whereas, I, I guess with Resurrection, you get the verse, then you get another verse, and then you get another verse, and, another verse, and it's like it's coming. Yeah. And when it when that yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just joyous and it? it's euphoric that that chorus when you finally get it. And then you think yeah. it's done, and then the real money shots—the last, <laughs> like, ah, <dong>.
2: anything. Oh, <laughs> if, I mean, if you see, and if you go and see, you know, if you see the roses live, or you know, on the last few tour, the last tours in that, and just—it's that. It, I don't think there's any other live experience for any other band where the crowd will sing the music. If you know what I mean, because as soon as that it becomes the hot, like fucking however many thousand people in the field in the stadium, we're all going down down, 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 Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, and it, but it's but it, and it's one of them. It's one of them tunes that every little fucking tiny little tweak in it, in, in the end, in, from the beginning to the end. I think in my head, I know every little thing slide on the guitar, every little fucking. It's like it's one of them ones that, and like I say, you go and see them live. And there's fucking thousands of other people who do as well, and they sing
1: it, and it's mental. Yeah. Oh, when they'd done the first, the first of the sort of big comeback gigs, the first review I, I read, yeah. somebody said, it's the greatest fucking night of karaoke you will ever go to, because everybody sang <laughs> everything. like you know, yeah. And it had been yeah, so yeah, long coming as well. It was just, yeah, perfect. I mean, you mentioned... Yeah,
2: so, so I was just going to say those 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 first comeback gigs were fucking extraordinary in Eaton Park, which you know, it's basically my back garden from yeah. when I was a kid. Eaton Park. I mean, it's, it, whenever anybody plays in Eaton Park, if you sit in my mum and dad's back garden, because just listen to the old gig anyway. So for me, you know, what I mean, for it to be so local to be and the timing of it as well. They they reformed and announced that. And the same time as we were just wrapping up and filming Spike Island, the film yeah. that I wrote, which is kind of, you know what I mean, dedicated to a gig at like a, a fucking you know, a historical Stowe Roses gig and then suddenly they've announced that they reform reforming And then they're playing in in my back garden. It's like, oh, thanks thanks, <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
1: Well, I wanna go back a little bit as well about um <laughs> the, the the love of obviously Manchester music and you touched on Salem Thirty, and we mother because she's dirty. Like Tell me a little bit, before we get on to the, the, the second choice, and we'll, we'll talk about your career as, as as this unfolds, but just tell me a little bit about getting that gig, playing Bez, and being part of 24-Hour Party People, because yeah. that, that film is fucking incredible. And, yeah. and, and, and I, my favourite ever story that I dine out on, and it's weird you mentioned Clint Boone as well, i bumped into tony wilson a music thing when i was chancing it with my band and, and i got sent to france to hustle with a bag of demos to see if i could get right. my band anywhere and i bumped into tony wilson who was doing in the city this thing out in in, in france he, right. he was hyping in the city and he was fucking incredible and he took me around the whole place and introduced me all he hadn't even heard my demo but he just liked the fact that I had a bag full of demos and I was chancing me arm and he Good. was fucking incredible so uh, and Clint was there with him but um but just yeah that that film for me you know being a southerner and and and, and being obsessed with with that scene and I'm I'm nearly 50 so so, Chris, like, it fell at the right point for me, all of that, you know, at 16 years of age, you know, for me, all <laughs> I wanted to do was, was go to the Hacienda. I wanted to be entrenched in everything that was was happening up there. And for well, me... Well, I, mean, I was,
2: you know, I, I, I was 47. I, was, I mean, I was 15 in that, in that And then, so obviously, when, I, when all that music started being filtered into into me, was sort of like, you know, like, I was like 13, 14. And... Um, and it was through kids in the year above me at school, and my best mate at the time, James, his older sister Liz. It was still thinkable. <laughs> his, his older sister Liz was like, you know, playing us all these tapes and that. She, she was, you know, she was, she was going on the hacienda and coming back and telling us all about it. We were, you know, we was in his bedroom, going, "Fucking, you know, hell, you know, wish we was old enough, kind of thing." But that's when, when the last year of school. I remember yeah, it was 99. I remember we went to we went to France on a ferry. It was all in like bucket hats with the paint splattered all over them and flares and all that and kickers and everything. And there was these, these lads on from London on the boat, and I go, Fucking hell, you're from Manchester, were And we're like, yeah, yeah. We were like fucking gods, just because we were from Manchester. I mean it was the extra- whole that whole time was fucking extraordinary. Um and, you know I I I I, I Loved the loved the roses, loved the Mondays, loved the spiral carpets, it was 808 state was fucking, you know, loved, loved it all. And uh so for the, for then when you know when, when I first heard that they was making a film, 24 hour party people. Um obviously as an actor from Manchester, you've got what being that somehow. But I already knew uh I already knew Rowetta for the wonders and she was uh she was she's sort of been brought in by michael winterbottom director to uh to sort of just be alongside the casting process um just you know what i mean just keep it just keep pushing and she said she said to michael she went you've got a you've got to meet chris coggill and I, it, they were doing these open auditions anyway where there was fucking hundreds of people there they've gone down to them and I saw, you know, I'd met Michael and I'd just chatted to him, but I hadn't, you know, it, it was the first, the first meeting with him. It wasn't an audition in, in the sense that I didn't have to fucking, I didn't even have to, didn't have to read any script. I can't remember, it's so long ago. I don't, we didn't read any scripts or anything. It was just a chat, just to get, get the vibe off, uh, for Michael to get the vibe off the actors. And then Rowetta rang me and said, look, I'm going with Michael uh, to going out of town on Thursday night or whatever it was. Um she said, you, You've got to come with my mate, it was DJing, my mate Tintin, who used to DJ at the Hacienda. Actually dj at my dj at my first wedding as well. Um he 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 was playing and he and he stuck on step on. And Rowetta just went, ah, come on, come with me now and fucking do your best, do you know what I mean? So we just so so we basically my audition was dancing dancing, I was we with Rowetta in front of Michael in the club, do you know what I mean? And it was sort of like that was it it was done do you know what i mean yeah. because it was like it's seated you know it's seen it's serious know, fucking i learned to dance when i was 15 years old do you know what yeah. i mean it was still ingrained in me physically so um yeah it was a mad one and and when i've sort of like it got to the point where it looked like i was gonna get it from what i was hearing uh from the agent and that was looking like it was going to happen i was djing in Club called Man Alive in Town and Bez was in there. And you know, I, I i sort of half knew Bez as well at the time. And uh we started talking about the film, and he said I remember he said to me, Whoever other place means getting the fucking you know, kicked in.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I went, All oh, right, uh actually, mate, it might be me. And then he went, Right, that's all right and I was like, I had for that, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, the the filming was, fuck you, you know, it was my first, I'd done bits before, but it was my first experience of being on a big set and, uh, you know, having a decent role and, you know, to be be playing not only somebody who was alive, an icon and a hero and that I sort of half knew was was kind of, do you know what I mean? It was a bit like... um, quite a big thing
1: yeah yeah
2: well so what me was so what we all decided to do we basically just fucking get it it's far deep inside inside the characters lifestyles as possible yeah. because i mean the, tw- the title 24 hour party people is you know it's exactly what it does on the set yeah. exactly does exactly what it says on the tin because that i mean it was quite it wasn't a conventional film shoot let's put it that way Love it.
1: um
2: no and i never remember you know we filmed the stuff that was in the Hacienda, rebuilt Hacienda. And uh, it was that fucking, it was that accurate. And I was that, you know, not quite sober, uh, should we put it. I was, it was, it, the set was that accurate. At one point, I went, I'm going go for a piss. <laughs> I'm to the set. And I opened the door to, went to the toilet of the Hacienda, as far as I remembered it. Do you know what I mean? But it was just a fucking flat wall, and it was time. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, we're not actually in the Hacienda, are we? That was Right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was, that was, it was. You know, it know, it was. Um. sort I'm looking up there because that's where the maracas are uh, that I used in film, I suppose. Um. Yeah, and it was a you know, It was a big deal. It, it it changed things for me, and it started me off on a you know on a different trajectory. Um. But it was a you know incredible experience and stuff. You know, and the thing is. I seen it at the premiere, seen it at the Casting Crew screening, and then another couple of screenings, but I was never completely sober. Yeah. And then um I was just I was just surfing surfing channels of, uh, last year or something. On the telly at night, and it came, and suddenly it was on it was just starting, and I thought, all oh, right, I've not seen this. And I watched it, I was like, hell, This is really good, is not it? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fucking brilliant film. And I'm in it, that's good. All right, I'm going
1: to take you back and uh, I'm going to ask you for track two to tell me the first song you remember hearing, mate, that had an emotional impact on you.
2: Right. In terms of an actual genuine emotional impact, uh, it's All Shep by Elvis. Because <laughs> um, the, f- the first first record I ever, ever owned was a double vinyl gatefold thing called 40 Elvis Golden Greats" that my mum and dad bought me. And I can't have been much more than Five or six, do you know what I mean? Uh, I've still got it actually. get the, there's a few records that I've still got on vinyl that I've just that I've kept because I it's got sentimental value, and this is one of them. It's uh, no, it was on Elvis Forty Golden Grades. and you I mean you know look you know the song right? Yeah. It's fucking. Like, as a young kid, eh, they, like, they st- like, it's, it's absolutely fucking heartbreaking. And I listened to it again the other day because you know getting songs together for this, I was like Jesus Christ. You know, he goes through. bit where he's, the bit where you know, as the years went by, and his eyes his eyes were growing dim and all that, and you're like, oh, hell, what's happening? You know? <laughs> the next thing is not only is he at the vet with him, and the vet can't do anymore for Shep. He's got the fu- <laughs> He's got the gun. He's the one that's going to have to shoot. Why do not the fucking vet do it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, he's like, I, you know, he picks up his gun, his hands were trembling, and he's like, I just couldn't do it. So I thought, no, you shouldn't. Thank God you didn't do it. You shouldn't be doing it. Let the vet do it. Well, <laughs> and then, and he said, you know, you think maybe he's not done it. And then the last line comes in, it's now all shep considered gone where all the good doggies going. <laughs> shep didn't make it, you know what I mean? And it was just... Uh, as I say, last week it fucking made me tear up. But as um, as a five, six, seven year old, what was when I heard it, I was fuck, I was absolutely a bitch, yeah, absolutely. A bitch. So that, I mean, in terms of an actual full on emotional reaction to, to a song, um, that's the one.
1: Was was home growing up a, a musical place?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, my dad was big into his music, uh, still is. And my dad, you know, he's you know seventy eight now, and he's still, still get. He still like listens to new music as well. I Every mean, night, you know, he, he'll get a little bit here and there. But no, we I grew up on a on a very heavy diet of Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, uh, The Doors, uh, Earth, Wind of Fire. My dad used to bang on when he had a few when we, did that, when it, when we got got a bit dancey at Christmas so if when the fire had come on. Uh but no very good. my dad was a fucking big Led Zepp fan. Um and Pink Floyd. And you know, as a as a young kid, every time I put it on you'd be like, oh sorry. And then suddenly found myself as a teenager going, Okay, I'll pink Floyd right? <laughs> <laughs> ace. the doors are ace, Led Zeppelin the fucking ace. Do you know what I mean?
1: Because um, it was weird, not- wasn't it? That that with the doors, it, it- they were always there, and, and obviously they had their, their, their big moment when, when, when they were doing it, and then it kind of, you know, y- your head still, you know, were into the doors, but it was essentially the the release of the Oliver Stone film that completely yeah. just reawoke the Do doors what, and turned everyone I, onto it. I,
2: it was a weird one, that, because, again, and this is, this is the same kid, my, my mate James, who's... With the with the sister, uh, we used to listen to we for for a long. We would got bang into the doors. I used, I had twelve Doors albums on vinyl. We only released six. I had like 15 live albums. I had interview albums. I was like me and my mate James for a long time. Our motto we <laughs> we sort of, we decided we'd live our life by the motto: "What would Jim do?" Do you know what I mean? So that was just sort of say yes to everything. Um, and I was you know mad into I, was, fuck it, I they, they were my favourite band for a long time. My GCSE art project was, uh, there's, there's an album I had a vinyl called Where Seeds Inside the Goldmine, which was like a foreign
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: Compilation and the, the front cover of it was a picture of Jim, and it was sort of like painted in streaks. Um, and my GCSE, my GCSE art project was reproductions of that painting of Jim Morrison in loads of different colours and a series of Jackson Pollock stone roses <laughs> inside. So, and, and, and the other one was a Jimi Hendrix record cover. That's what I've done for my GCSEs, was like record covers, and it was based around the roses uh, and. Uh, the doors and Jimi Hendrix. That's that was you know that was when I was like what 15, 16. And that was the same time uh I don't want to sound like a wanker but I was in, it was I was already into them when that Oliver Stone movie Now yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: and then suddenly everyone's going, Oh fucking hell the doors are all right aren't they? Like, yeah yeah
1: they are. yeah floating around Manchester it in was tricky
2: very not to uh because there's a choice coming up which is um Songs that remind you of school,
1: yeah.
2: And uh, one of them is LA Woman, do you know what I mean? Because that was yeah. that we listened to that on repeat in my fourth year. Was that that album was I bought, I remember, bought put it on cassette in France when I was camping with my mum and dad on the school holidays. And I sat, I sat in the camp for loads of the holidays just listening to the tape over and over again. But um, yeah, it was so it was difficult. It was like I say, that, that the question about the song that reminds you of school days, it was difficult not to. I mean, the whole fucking, this whole process of whittling down and choosing has been a bit of a head fuck.
1: Yeah. It can't be any more of a head fuck than a 16-year-old bombing around Manchester in 1990 going, what would Jim do? And just fucking hell, that, that's going to end in tears. Living your life by watching Morrison and do. <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, well let's let's talk school. Tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, mate. Right,
2: I've gone for uh, the new style by Beastie Boys off the oh, first album. Wonderful. Uh, purely, I mean, because there was there was a period of time where I was a You know, to all intents and purposes, I was one of the Beastie Boys. <laughs> it was me, me, and my mates. You know, we'd all we fucking knew all the words. We knew. All the individual parts. I was always MCA.
1: Um, MCA is the best one. By a mile, always.
2: Yeah, it's. Just, I mean, it's so sad. It's so sad as well that he went. You know what
1: I mean? And, have you watched that that doc?
2: This badly thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Oh,
1: you got the book. You got... Oh, the book. Fucking. Best have you got that? Thing. Oh, of course I have, man. It's incredible. It's, it's
2: fucking, everything about it is brilliant. Is there, has there ever
1: been three people in one band that, that are that cool? I mean, are, are Beastie Boys the
2: coolest band ever? It's got to yeah. be up
1: there, right? So that goes. sorry. Are the Beastie Boys the coolest band that have ever walked the earth? It's up there, isn't it?
2: Yeah, so I think that they're some of the coolest people to have ever walked the earth, yeah. for sure. Do you know what? The thing is about the, about, about the Beastie Boys is that every fucking, I mean, every album is really different to the, to the next one. And you know they cross different genres and that, and I know that it's you know sort of like looking back now, I and mean, it's it's become an accepted thing that the first album was sort of a bit of a parody, pastiche, sort of bit of a, you know taking the piss out of frat boys and that, but it's still some fucking great music on it. Mon- you know what I mean? Brass Monkey. Yeah. Hell.
1: Like- well, that, that, whole,
2: that, whole, that whole album, because that was the thing, you know, again, listening to this, doing this, I'm like, well, it's definitely off. It's definitely, you know, it's definitely going to be off fucking license to will. And I was thinking, well, which one did me and my mates do the most? And it was, you know, it was the new style. <laughs> but listening to that album again, you're right. I mean, like Brass Monkeys, fuck it, it belt and they're like um, oh god what's the, what's the last tune on the album called Rhyming
1: and Stealing Slow and Low the, the,
2: the, the very last one which samples Custard Pie by Led Zeppelin yeah, do you know what I mean and right. I, remember my, I remember playing that and my dad going hold up is that Led Zeppelin and me going yeah and that was one of the first times I sort of became aware of sampling and what sampling was do you know what I mean and then obviously in terms of the Beast Boys and sampling then um, Paul's Big Tick just took that to a completely new level which again is which get you know that is a fucking incredible album yeah. B-T. that's one of my in fact I'm probably I might put that album as a I don't know it's kind of like it changes every time I do but if I was to you know what I mean like a Desert Island Discs list yeah. of albums Paul's boutique could be on it
1: Eggman on that track on that album yeah. is my favourite Beasties tune oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. yeah
1: good, it? absolutely what a sample that is it's,
2: you know what can you see
1: that there
2: on the, there's the Pulse Boutique cover oh, frame? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. It's funny, do you know what? I've just been sat here before. I was just getting ready to do this. And it's like, that will tie in, in a bit. That's already tied in. <laughs> see the Chemical Brothers print up there? That's already right. tied in. I've got fucking Elvis in front of me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe these options, maybe these choices are all really fucking obvious. Got a Beastie Boys book down there. Um, Love
1: it. Love it. How was, how was school, Chris? Did you enjoy it? nope uh, no. What did you want to be when you were at school? Anywhere
2: else. <laughs> um, just, <coughs> Excuse me. Um no, it was a, it was all right. Do you know what I mean? It was like I had no interest in I had no interest in being there. Um and I wasn't I I wasn't very you know, I wasn't very well I wasn't well behaved. I couldn't you know, I'll be honest, I was it was a. I was a horrendous teenager, especially with my mum and dad. But I mean it's cool, I just wasn't that I wasn't I wasn't asked. Um and it didn't help that my older sister was um deputy a girl. Yeah. It's like oh, really, so I've got to try and live up to that. um But no, I did, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to be there. uh And I thought that everybody, I thought most people were dicks. Do you know what I mean? It was like, um and it you know, and like I say, like listening to the doors and shit. I was like, I had like my hair was down my back and. People were, you know, there was a lot of lads. I mean, I was still banging the football and all that, but all there's a lot of football and lads who were like, you look like a girl." Like, I'm not, not, I can't be asked with you. Do you know what I mean? And um, the lad i mentioned a couple of times, James, who was my best mate, was in school, didn't go, didn't, didn't go to my school. We, were, you know, we went to different places, and it was, it sort of, it was, uh, yeah, my, my. My social life was outside of school. Do you know what I mean? Mm, With yeah. little people and uh, used to go to under 18s thing, under 18s club night where they just played the Charlatans and the Roses and all that and um, Mondays and everything and NWA and it was like, I was morning. I was I was bang. I was you know I was writing to be reading. In fact, do you know what? If I if I could sing, there's nowhere on earth I would. Just, ever probably become an actor do you know what I mean if I had a good voice because the people that I knew back in those days in the early 90s and that I knew some people who were fucking brilliant musicians and if I had a really good really good voice I reckon it would be yeah. it's got a brilliant band
1: what did you want to be?
2: Um <clears throat> well as a young lad I wanted to be a footballer and then um, I was no, not, there was never any da- there was never any danger of that I just wanted to be one Uh and it's ironic because, because obviously, again, like I say, if I, if I, if I was musical genius and that's what I want to do, but uh, the irony is, is that the reason I got into it, in acting, was because I had a drama teacher at school who basically said, "You're really good at this. You, you could do this for a living." Uh, and my immediate thought was, ah, wicked. There's no writing involved." It's <laughs> like the rest of school, do you know what I mean? But then what's, what's ended up happening now is that I spend more time writing than doing anything else. Uh, in terms of like, films and creating, you know, I'm always working on creating, developing like a new TV series or something. So actually, the yeah, irony really is I've ended up doing more writing than I would have ever expected to. Uh,
1: Were you a creative I, kid, Chris? Say again. Was you a creative kid?
2: Yeah, I think so. Creative liar <laughs> 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 um yeah man i was like well, you know i used to go i used to go to that like, by the time i sort of started thinking about the, the, the acting thing i used to go to like uh, weekend drama club thing again with people out like, from outside the school because it was a bit uh poncy, as far well as they were concerned um but I think, you know, I mean, I, it turned, the, the, in terms of being creative, and uh, I, I, I won, a, <laughs> I won a, a Limerick writing competition when I was at primary school, uh, and I chose for my prize, much to the embarrassment of my parents, uh, the prize was a book, and I could choose anyone I wanted. And I chose one called How A Baby Is Made. <laughs> and it was a- I remember that book, mate. <laughs> it, was a book, it was a book with illustrations and everything. And my mum was like, i got presented it this thing. I'm not better like mortified. <laughs> and, uh, and also, creative, was, it seems to be creative. Dad's picking up plane spotting. You know, we went to something thing at, at an airport in Manchester, like a Christmas party or something. And I won some sort of prize for, I don't know what, but when I got, I can't remember what the prize was for, but when I got, got up on stage, they said, what's your name? And I said, Anthony Arkwright. <laughs> Nobody, as far as, <laughs> as far as I, anybody i found, we've never met an Anthony Arkwright. I didn't, you know what I mean? I just, fuck knows where it came from, but I said my name was Anthony Arkwright. My mum and dad again were like, oh, the fuck's that? So if you, so... <laughs> If I ever write, a, if I ever write a book, if I ever write a novel, I'm going to write it under the pseudonym Anthony Arkwright. Love it, love it.
1: What was the first song you remember buying from a record shop?
2: Well, it was uh, it was Prince. Uh, it was a double A side of "Take Me With You" and "Let's Go Crazy." Because oh. um, it, I mean, what was was like 1985, so I would have been like 10 years old. But I mean, before that i was i don't i don't record on the elvis thing and then uh because because he was the. And i'm not ashamed to say this because he was the closest thing to elvis i had at the time i was fucking obsessed with shaky stevens as a kid like, i loved him do you know what i mean because he was like he was he was like I said the closest thing to to elvis um and i so there was a there's a little uh News agency in Presswich, where I'm from, called Percival's. I think it's the only shop in the precinct that's still got the same name. Uh, but they used to have the rack of singles. You know what I mean—a spin round record of right, right, seven inches. Uh, and so, I as a kid, my but these my mum always bought me my shaky records. <laughs> my mum bought me my shaky singles, but I had them all. But the first one I ever spent my own money on. Uh, was that double H side, of
3: Let's go crazy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh.
2: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. And take me with you. I mean, there was, I've got my, me and my old sister, we, bought, we watched the film Purple Rain over and over again. Um. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of them. It's, and I listen, again, listening to that, again, that certainly, I mean, let's go crazy, everybody knows it's a fucking great too. But Take Me With You. Amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like the arrangement on it, and just, it's, yeah, it's incredible. It's, I mean, it's so subtle, the bits with like, the strings come in, and there's a, there's a bit where he goes, She's your soul," amazing, and he goes, thank you, just in the background, do you know what I mean? Just the production on it, it's just... It's a, it's a fucking. It's a really good song, and I'm, I feel quite not quite relieved uh, that that's the first record. <laughs> I mean, this shows that started off like a decent track record. It was a decent starting point, anyway.
1: Was that um, like your introduction to to Prince?
2: Film Purple Rain was well, that, yeah.
1: that that era, that film, that single, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Rain.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know Prince man what I mean it's insane right it's unbelievable unbelievable like some sort of the so, you know again with him the diversity and the stuff that is released is just is, is madness yeah but um yeah I remember, I remember coming back home it I spent my i spent my own own money on it and it was like I don't know I'd do it I'd, I do it now with trainers. When I get a new pair of trainers, I take them out of the box and I look at them from, from every angle. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember I did, did the same. did the same thing with that record, yeah. Because there is something. There's something so aesthetically different and pleasing about an actual piece of fucking vinyl.
1: Tangible, isn't it? You can.
2: Yeah. And
1: yeah. And, and you know, I've spoke about this a few times on on the, on the podcast, and I'm always kind of. I don't want to go down sort of granddad territory, and 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 because I I, I love streaming services and having everything uh, you know in an instant. I think that's amazing. That you oh, no, it's so. amazing. It's like doing
2: this, it's like think of a song within two seconds. Yeah.
1: Thinking, no, I fucking do it, you know. But as a kid, like getting that record and knowing that I probably couldn't afford another one for a couple of weeks, and like. <laughs> I would yeah. literally put it on and stare at that sleeve, and then turn it round. And if it was an album, yeah. I'd read all the sleeve notes. Yeah, you'd you know, you you be just be an absolute anorak for it because it was all I had. And and I think that that's one of the things that is lost a little bit through streaming is is now you see so many artists releasing albums, but essentially they're just fillers for the singles that they're promoting. Whereas, you know, yeah. if you look at the Roses being a prime example, and The Doors, it was like, it's a body of work, it's a piece of art, that album, you know. Yeah,
2: purple- and yeah, it demands to be listened to in sequence from beginning to end. 100%. 100%. All right, let's go clubbing. Tell me the song that
1: soundtracked your years clubbing.
2: Right, okay. Right, well, I've gone for, because, again, I think you know, thinking back over the over the years, I was... It was kind of like a bit of a goal the mid-90s, like whereas in Manchester, in terms of clubs, what 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 my me and my circle had more than clubs were like Manchester Academy, uh, and places like Manchester Academy and, and the the UMist and uh, the Naya Centre in Hume uh, and the new archery in Hume were they were like the new Audrey was an old Irish working house club. The Nia Center was like a um an old theatre building on the off- opposite side of where me and my theatre we had a theatre company. We had a, we had an office in this building uh in here and opposite it was the new Audrey. And it was what we had mo- what we had more than club nights were like raves, Do you know what I mean? Raves in the like, there was a thing called the Megadog that was on for years. I don't know if you know the megadog, and it was all sort of uh people like you know it was obviously was live a lot of it was live and that's what that's what we're getting at is that you know we make a sort of
1: it'd move into sort of the realms of things like transglobal underground and things like that as well, wouldn't it it was
2: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it was all sort of like, uh, like things like mari Kanti Yeki Yeki do you know what I mean it's yeah. like that sort of like that that had the hand floor mix of that came close to being a contender for this because it was it was something it was that sort of like it was that. Techno, but it had a sort of like a bit of a hippie, hippie Imaginary, edge to it, definitely, definitely. Uh, sort of like what you know, like stuff like the people that be on the like Ban- Banco de Gaia and people like that, do yeah. you know what I mean? to play, But also, it was like Orbital were on, uh, Underworld were on, left field were on, like every other week, there seemed to be something like that that we could go to. Um, so you know, but and we also, we, you know, we went to fucking, we went to a lot of like parties in that disused train tunnel going through a mountain in Buxton or like in a valley in uh, North Wales in Mould or something. We went to a lot of those parties, but it took, yeah, like I say, it was more the things that really stand out for me were, were like the, more like the live sets. And one of the bands that we've seen over and over again uh, was Underworld. And um, they're fucking they're, I remember the sound system that they had for when they played at the Manchester Academy. It just got you like got your fucking chest, you know what I mean? Made you feel like your chest was bursting. It was it was it was mad. And there's the track off Double No Bass with My Headman, which I think is 1993 that album yeah. came out, um, and it's the track Cowgirl, oh. which also could be a contender for a tune with one of the best openings as well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Best intro. Um, it's just the way it builds in the different levels and it's just it's just a fucking absolute banger. And even now I'm talking about it now, I'm getting slight uh, goosebumps, do you know what I mean? Just thinking about that tune. Yeah. Very loud. Very live. Good ethics uh, boys, mate. Uh, Good
1: ethics boys. A- a- right. I'm yeah. A- and... Uh, I uh, I got to speak to Darren Emerson uh about he he's he moved back to Essex. So I got to to go and sit in his studio and he was he was playing me some bits and bobs and some sort of rarities and stuff okay. and it was a real a real moment. It was uh We're fiercely proud, you know, uh, as Manchester is with their stuff. You know, we ain't got a lot down here in Essex, but when we get something, we hold on to it. And yeah, uh, I mean, uh, (laughs) and also, listen, you had
2: Keith Flint, man. We did, we did, you know. And, uh, God rest. I mean, again, like, I could have chose Prodigy tracks, Prodigy tracks all over this selection. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I, I I mean, what they what they do in terms of like crossing over between dance and rock, and...
1: like headlining metal festivals, like who yeah, yeah thought, like, download them, like, like yeah. crazy when like you, you look at like when they dropped like Charlie and Wind It Up and stuff like that, which all oh, fucking great tracks, but were
2: essentially I seen I, see, I see them, I've seen them I seen them,
1: I've seen them oh, amazing and like and then it was when I heard Poison, I just thought. Oh, man. And because I, I ran an alternative club and it was like, Poison's a tune. Poison is the one. Oh. It's the
2: one, mate. Again, in that intro, well, oh. well like, I say, the, like I say, the Prodigy could have been fucking all over this yeah. selection. One of the best gigs I ever went to was in Blackpool at Blackpool Borough and it was the Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy together back That'd to back. Win, and you're it. like, fucking what? <laughs> and it was on a Thursday night, I remember, because we went to Blackpool during the day we went on the Big Dipper and all that in the in the afternoon. Went to see the Chemical Brothers apology. Jumped in the car, drove back to Manchester, and went to a herbal tea party at the uh, at the in here. I fucking hell, I just mentioned it. At the new the um, oh my god, not the new yeah the new address. Sorry, yeah. we jumped, jumped straight in the car, went back to here and got in and arrived at the new Audrey just as that was kicking off. And that went down in that was known as Smart Thursday yeah. many between me and my mates. Uh, but sorry, uh, that was it. the Friday morning, Chris. Friday afternoon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good. All right. Well, look, we, we we spoke lots about Manchester, so uh, I'm going to take you back there for this track and tell me uh, a favourite song from an artist from your home county.
2: Right, Richard Ashcroft is technically. Wigan, which is technically greater Manchester. Um, For me, Richard Ashcroft is like an alien. Do you know what I mean? It's like he's from, is everything about the way he looks, the way he moves, the way he writes, the way he sings, is like he's he's, he's from possibly another fucking dimension. Do you know what I mean? It's just something about him, uh, about Man Richard that. It's fucking enthralling, and his voice, man. I, th- I think his voice is incredible. Um, a mate of mine said to me not long ago, we was discussing discussing his solo stuff, because again, I think again, I think Urban Urban Hymns probably again would be a Desert Island Album. Do you know yeah. what
1: I was going to say something about uh, Underworld, which is the name of their albums, right? That based on my head and second toughest in the infants are fucking brilliant titles yeah. for albums, but the verve. A northern soul, yeah, an urban soul. What
2: a storm, storm, storm in heaven, storm in heaven as well.
1: Storm in mm. heaven. Oh, yeah, don't get me started on well, that, well, that well, full version of, live version of Gravity Grave, mate. Oh, fucking hell.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no, but this, that mate, like, we were so we were discussing uh, Richard Ashcroft the other week, and this friendly guy said, He's solo stuff. She said, um. It's like a dark fucked up Neil Diamond. And I was like, like, the more I thought about it, the more I think she's right. And this track that I'm choosing here is the acoustic version of Space and Time from his his recent album, uh, Acoustic Hymns. And there's this bit bit of a, he's added a bit of a horn section to this, to this version and what she said about the dark fucked up Neil Diamond When, when the horns call, you got "Look, she's nailed that." Yeah, exactly what it's like. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and also, but the, I mean, the, the track itself, space and time. Um, I just think it's just one of the fucking really clever bit of writing as well because it's if you listen to the, if you listen to the back and forth of the words, with the language in it, it's like encapsulates <laughs> it encapsulates like the end of a, of a long relationship really well in terms of that whole thing of like we've got existence that's all that's all we share but also got to keep on pushing because i know it's do you know i mean it's like a back and forth about why why and why not this really This really, it's just what it seems to me anyway i wasn't there when he wrote it i wasn't in his head but to me it's like this fucking back and forth and reasoning and rational you know, trying to come try to rationalize like the end of a long relationship but it's just done really fucking powerful. Like I said, obviously the album version is a lot, you know, it's quite a lot stronger but this acoustic version I just think is particularly, uh, it just it sums him up and it really sums up that fucking Dark Neil, <laughs> yeah. Neil Diamond comparison that
1: can't get out of my head now. It's, uh, it, it, it's incredible and like, it, 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 for, for me, I, I found his like, solo stuff can be like up and down. it has been st- some stuff that, what was the, the name of the band that he'd done? he done an album under a United... Oh, a new universal thing of sound, is like it? I, I struggled with that. I've got to be honest. I did struggle with that. Yeah. But but uh, yeah. but I do think like he's, he's made some absolutely incredible uh, music on, he, on on his own. But there's, it's it's that yeah. whole Morrissey Marr thing, and it's that him and Nick McCabe. I think yeah. it, there was yeah. something special there, mate. That guitar sound that Nick McCabe's got. You know, with with, yeah. with Richard's vocals, was just something magical happened there. I think. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But did you get to to the high hey call gig? No, no. Nah, nah. That was I had that on VHS, and I used to rinse that. Like, and also in regards to we're well, seeing the music saves behind you. Uh, as yeah. far as intros go, like this is music. I mean, that's that's an intro, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh yeah.
2: And, and so, we, like, and come on, as well as a fucking bangy. Well, I can stay back with symphonies. Again, it's like I said with the the resurrection. You know what? As soon as you hear it, you know what's coming, and it's it's, it's euphoric as well. Beautiful.
1: Right. Last track. This is when you get to play Tastemaker, uh, or or as the kids call it, Influencer. Uh, A song that many people may not know that you would like them to hear.
2: Right. Okay. Right. With the original version of this, every fucker in the world knows. but this isn't the original version. It's uh, the chemical. For me, right, the Chemical Brothers are one of the best bands of all time. Live, they are. It's just I've, I've seen them. I've lost count of how many times I've seen them. Along, I went. I've seen them some last year, some the year before. Uh, I've start, started. Since since COVID and that, I've kind of come up with a new philosophy of saying yes tomorrow and saying no tomorrow. So as soon as I see like a gig that I'm, I, I fancy now, I'll just fucking buy a ticket. And I've, got, and I've sort of started going to gigs on my own because the good thing about them is because I've seen the, see the Chemical Brothers uh, at Field Day last year and the year before they were playing at Latitude so I went like that and I went to both for them on my own. And there's something so fucking magical and freeing about being at a big gig like that on your own because when you go to a festival you spend the entire time looking over your shoulder just making sure everybody's still with you. Yeah. But if you go to a gig like that on your own toes, with with no, we've, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And, uh, yeah, and the Chemical Brothers, I've seen, like I said, I've seen them in the last year, I've seen them three times. I've just gone on, just gone on my own. I think it's been better than going with other people, do you know what I mean? And I've just seen, I've just, seen uh, just saw yesterday that they're playing in uh, Mallorca in May at some festival out there. And so, in the process of sorting out a ticket for that. Um, you, can't, no, you comfortable, I'm, comfortable I'm, on your own then? Like, you, you, you
1: you're comfortable bit like, you know, socially?
2: I'm fully happy in my own company. Yeah. Really, I'm, I mean, you know, I spend a lot of time on my own because I live on my own and I live out of London now, I live here in the countryside. Uh it's ace it's ace Uh, if I get in the car and I have to go to like North London I just fucking just drives me mad I like like having my own space and obviously I'm not I'm not social in any way shape or form Uh, but I do like having my own space especially if I'm writing something as well it's uh, it's it's better for that Um, but no the chemical so going back to the Chemical Brothers the Chemical Brothers live uh, I've seen them I've seen them I don't know a million times I remember that um used to the reason one of the reasons I got the I used to in my 20s I had a job me and my mates had, had a cafe in Affleck's Palace in Manchester uh, on the top floor and we used to sell tickets for gigs from there and that and tickets for raves and um one of the lads who worked in one of the other stores had given me this tape in, I think it was in nineteen ninety four like five five was when the chemical brothers were still the dust brothers yeah. and then uh, this tape had some sort, of, some, some sort of siren on it and chemical beats and I was like oof what's this and that became do you know what I mean and that was sort of like so and then I think it was like 20th birthday I saw them at Sankey Soul uh, DJ and they were like fucking hell and, that, and from that moment on I've kind of been pretty obsessed with them and then uh in fact, I got I worked at HMV for years as well, and that's the only other job that I think I could have carried on doing because I ended up so I started off just working like selling CDs and that. But then I eventually got I sort of got made singles buyer, and then the albums buyer. And so I was spending my time talking to record people from record companies and deciding what to order and how many of each and that. I kind of like I really enjoyed it, and it was kind of I had to think about music all the time. And I think it's the only other
1: job that I could have stayed in. It's so weird you say that, right? My my best mate, who I I, I work with, and he's a, a former musician. He's he's got into acting now. It's a guy called Scroobius Pip, and uh, right. and, and and Pip's only other job was in HMV, and to this day right. he will say that's the one job where he became a buyer, where he, where he said I could have stayed there. Uh, I don't know, <laughs>
2: honestly, well, you made a company there. Um, I remember I got that job because, we went in the, interview, in the interview, they said, What, talk to me about music now? What, what is it that excites you? And I went to Chemical Brothers and they went, All right. And I went, Yeah, because they're doing this sort of crossover of like, you know, there's some rocky bits in there, some dancing bits in there, some electro bits. There's like a break, it's a different sort of, it's not for the floor, it's the break beats and stuff. And, and, talk, and then the manager once I got the job said, Yeah, let's talk about the Chemical Brothers. They got you the gig so I, I, yeah i've been obsessed with it i've loved them for a long long time um i actually got a tattoo of the cover of dig your own hole on my arm I don't nice. know if you can see it um so the track i've chosen is the chemical coverage, but it's not uh, it's a version that was it's um hey girl hey boy hey boy hey girl um it's from the 20th 20 year anniversary release of the album surrender and it's the soul wax Remix, so good. It's, it's just fucking banging. It's like it's just sort of like have they just possibly made that track better? Do you know what I mean? It's like I'll go
1: out on a limb and say yes.
2: Yeah, because you know what it is. Because when it, when it starts, you know what it is. But then when that first fucking beat actually finally oh. comes in, Jesus Christ, that wasn't that's not yeah. what I was expecting. Um, and the the builds and the breaks in it are just insane.
1: Yeah. And the switch of yeah. the words. And and when that beat drops, it almost like, sort of almost takes a breath before it drops and it just pulls you in yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then drops you. Think it it's
2: you. Gonna go? think Yeah. You, you get it, it goes, fuck yeah. off, and you're like, okay. And it's, just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an absolute banger. Um, I mean, I could have picked, do you know what? I could have picked, again, like I said, I was going through this whole, this whole process, I could have picked the Chemical Brothers all over the place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: in every category, probably. Yeah. Um, apart from school days um, and so yeah in terms of yeah in terms of like a track that i don't think many people have heard Well loads of people have heard it but it's obviously it's a very different version to, to the original and it was released 20 years after the original so uh, so it's it's um i mean i haven't I, I even as one of the what i put myself down as a one of you know, massive chemical bubbles, that I, I hadn't heard it until a little while after it would been released, if you know what I mean. So maybe people won't know this track. And if you don't enjoy it, it's a banger. <laughs> well, we make it
1: easy for people to, to go and listen to it, Chris. We put together a little Spotify playlist of all the tracks that you've picked today, so people uh, can go and check that out to accompany the podcast. Um, we've just seen you on the screen uh, in the incredible uh, walk in. Uh, with Stephen Graham mm-hmm. and uh and the, the yeah. lovely Andy Ennis, <laughs> um, uh, what's coming next? What's what's what can people expect from you, uh, for the rest of the um, year?
2: I've got you know what, I've had quite busy little period since I walked in. I did a thing for the BBC called The Gold, which I don't know when it's coming out, uh, but that's um, I mean, I'm only in that a little bit, but it's it's a good show, it's about the Brinks Matt robbery, uh. I'm, not, I'm sure I'm allowed to say all this. <laughs> Probably. Um it's got Hugh Bonneville in it and chat loud. It's good, it's very good. I, I'm I did I'm working at the moment, I'm filming third series of Slow Horses, which is an Apple T V show. I was in the first series, but again only a little bit, and then they've asked me to come back and I've got quite a lot this time, so that's nice. Working with Gary Oldman. That'll do, would not <laughs> it? Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> I um, and I've just done, th- done the base for right, ITV, so they're all know, I'll be there, i coming out at some point soon. But after that, after the finish on Slow Horses, which is just after Christmas, um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've just been commissioned to write a script, so I'm just going to be bedding down for a bit in the cold, writing a script. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful.
1: Mate, it's been a real joy. Talking record. Oh, mate, I, I'm, I'm enjoying
2: myself. Could have talked to you all day. Oh, <laughs>
1: thanks ever so much, mate. And uh, and if people want to keep up the speed with what you're up to, where's the best place to, to follow you, mate?
2: Do you know what? I've literally only just set up an Instagram account. Well, I, I, I've not even done it. My daughter did it for me. She insisted that I've stayed away from all social media before. Now, I, bought, I used to be on Twitter years ago and then I fucked it off. Uh, so the only thing I have now, I've got, I've got about fuck it, I've got like 700 followers. It's, do you know what I mean? Um, it's not really something I engage in that, that much. Uh, but I don't know if you want to follow me
1: on Instagram, you can do. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll tag you in it when this comes out. Um, Chris, I want to press stop. Don't go anywhere. Thanks, loads, mate. Bye, man. Might as well. There you go. Oh, I could have chatted for ages with Chris. What a top lad. Absolute top lad. There's something uh, about when, when you interview somebody that's not too dissimilar in age that grew up listening to very similar music that it instantly, you, you, you have to kind of, I have to rein it in because I just want to go, oh, fucking hell, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. What about that one? What about that one? And like, you have to sort of rein it in a little bit, but um, not too much. It's nice to get that kind of, you know, connection and, 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 and have that sort of shared excitement for, for records because that's the beauty of music, right? Um, as soon as Chris popped up uh, on the Zoom link, and i saw the music saves verve uh artwork behind him i just thought right we're fine we're absolutely fine here this is going to be easy and then beastie boy's artwork on the wall the maracas in front of him from uh from playing bez uh how interesting was that getting to hear about what it was like going into the recreated set of the hacienda for 24-hour party people and for any listeners uh to this podcast that haven't watched that film yet. Oh my god! Make sure you that's that's the next thing on your agenda to do after listening to this. Go, go watch it. It's a fantastic Michael Winterbottom film with with Steve Coogan and oh, and and it's just a who's who in that film. There's some incredible cameos uh, from lots of famous faces, and and it just really nails, you know, the, the the genius of of the hacienda of Factory Records, and and you know, to get the the incredible snapshot and the craziness that was the Happy Mondays and. The, you know, the hemorrhaging of money with New Order and, and such. It's just a, a fantastic uh, piece of rock and roll history in a fantastic film. So go check that out. Right, I'm done anyway. I'm, 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 I'm just banging on there because I'm still coming down from that chat. And it was just, yeah, lots of, lots of memories were triggered for me on, on, on that one as well. Getting overexcited about the music I was listening to as a young lad. Right, I'm back next time. In the meantime, go check out the back catalogue
2: and just be nice to each other and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.